0: The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. My name is Chris. I am the Youth and Families Pastor over in Cambria at uh, Community Press Church in Cambria. I always like to show, uh, I've been here a few times, and uh, so I'm back, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, always a pleasure being with you. I like to show pictures of my kids as they're growing over the years. Here's my son Cameron, he's eight. Uh, this was the one day the family and friends got to swim at the Hearst Castle pool. That was really cool. And my daughter Taylor, she's my dancer, ballerina, singer, very artsy. And their grandparents live down the street from uh, Legoland. So we get to uh, go there when we're visiting uh, grandma and grandpa. So. Uh, those are my kids and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, we are doing a, a series here. Uh, we, or you, are having a series called The Voice that uh, started last week. Graham introduced it. He talked about Samuel uh, being a young boy in the temple, hearing from God, and then God using Samuel throughout his life, but that, uh, that God's voice is not just limited to Uh, to the the Bible, but actually God is alive and speaking throughout the centuries and is speaking even today uh, to us. And so my prayer is that we would hear from God this morning and hear what he's saying uh, to to us as people. Um, Sometimes, though, we can be dull of hearing. uh, The scripture talks about, uh, like Graham mentioned last week, having the eyes to see. Jesus said, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear you will hear what the Spirit's telling you. And, uh, but we're, we're, we get blocks. We get uh, things in our lives that kind of uh, gets in the way, barriers of us hearing clearly from what God wants to communicate. Because I believe that God wants to tell us many things. Uh, he wants to give us direction. The Scripture, Old Testament says, whether you turn to the right or the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk unto it. And, uh, but then there's things that get in the way. I'm here to discuss a very popular topic uh, uh, called confession. It's not popular. It makes us feel like, much like uh, here, uh, Ben Stiller in Meet the Parents. We get strapped down. Uh, We're in this vulnerable position and we're forced to confess, to admit to things that we're embarrassed or ashamed about. And sometimes we see that that's kind of the heart of God, that he wants to pin us down, wants to kind of corner us. And then he wants us to just expose ourselves and then we don't know for sure is he going to uh, handle us with gentleness and with care or is he going to point his finger. And, and I think that's one of the biggest lies that, that we can get into is thinking that somehow God is, is after us to, to make us confess and to make us uh, tell the truth about who we really are, which in a sense he is, but I think... Uh, Hopefully after this message, uh, you'll have a better idea of how he responds to us and how he wants to interact with us through this very sometimes challenging um, issue of confession. Uh, Of course, if I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to need to start uh, with my own true confession. Uh, I'm a a Little League coach. My son is on our Little League team. Um, But what is it about Little League Baseball? Have you noticed there's something different? It's not like soccer. Uh, My son, the one you saw a picture of, that's not him, but you saw a picture of him earlier. He's a great athlete, uh, loves to play all sports. But baseball is not like soccer. It's not like basketball. Um, It is very unique unto its own. I think Little League Baseball is about the parents trying to live vicariously through their children. (laughs) and, and uh, try to make their kids live up to maybe uh, a standard that they failed to live up to themselves. Uh, and, you know, I remember as a kid, Little League, and uh, just remember some brawls in the stands. I remember some umpires and some coaches, like practically in each other's faces, spitting on each other. I mean, it just is bad sometimes. Well, we went 0-18 last year in our Little League team. So that makes it worse, because we want that one win, that one victory, just to make our kids feel like, you know, uh, they, 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 just one win, that's all, that's all I was praying for. (laughs) Well, we just actually won a couple weeks ago this year, and we won yesterday, too. So, uh, you know, we're back, we're feeling a little better about ourselves. But not too long ago, uh, I, I um, was on third base, I was coaching, and I didn't know this about the umpire, but, but he, he took things pretty personal. And, and I know boundaries. I've, I've played baseball my whole life. I've been around baseball a lot. And I know, like, kind of the ump's realm, and I know that my coach, that coach's uh, realm. And I just felt like the ump was kind of, like, you know, getting a little too, he was making... Uh, he, was, he was giving my kids opinion, you know, opinions and coaching advice, or what have you. And just things that I felt. And I felt like he thought he was kind of lord of the diamond, you know. Like he was kind of <laughs> large and in charge. And, and umps have to be like that to a certain extent. But they have to be able to take some stuff too. That's just what you're trained in. Well, I, um, I just asked a simple question. What's the call, Blue? Or what's the, uh, what's the count, Blue? What's the, call? What's the count? And, and he just snapped. You know, he, he just said something to the effect of, you, you stick to coaching, you know, I'll stick to umping. I guess he took it personal. I didn't know this till later that this has actually happened before. And, and I had a choice to make as things were escalating. I could, I could take kind of the high road and, and just kind of do the right thing and, and just stay cool. Or because I was so eager for my kids... To, to get this victory, and I was getting into the game. You know how the competition thing works? And I could choose to maybe go toe-to-toe with this guy a little bit. And, and that's what I chose, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and so he, he said, you know, stick to coaching, and I'll stick to umping. And I said, well, I would if you would stop coaching my kids, you know. And I thought I said it in a nice way. I don't know... <laughs> I mean, it was like I just insulted his mother. I mean, it was like he, he, he stormed over to me. He said, Chris, because I live in Canberra and we all know each other, unfortunately. He said, Chris, I'm going to kick your bleep out of this game. And I mean, all my kids are right here. And I, and I, and I took the, the moral high road. You know, I said, don't cuss in front of my kids, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, it was just bad. The whole The whole stadium goes silent. you know how those awkward moments go we 're losing like sixteen to two. He called the game early. Uh, it was awkward. it was just it was just that ugly feeling you have where we 're supposed to be models, role models for our kids as parents you know, and we 're just leading them in just the whole wrong direction here. Well, as much as I felt like he, he was out of hand and, and as much as I felt kind of justified. Uh, as I thought it through, you know, I was trying to get parents, did you see, you know, I was trying to get them to say what I wanted to hear. Yeah, you were in the right, Chris. And, you know, he was, he was out of line. The truth was is that my attitude uh, was wrong. And, and I, I was trying to kind of, you know how you wrestle and you justify your own actions and you do things in your life that you, you just start, you, you, you get set on the fact that you kind of are right. And, and everyone else did the wrong thing there. But the fact is, is that I made a contribution into this conflict. And, and God, and here's where we get into the voice that is not sometimes so pleasant, is God was communicating to me. And he was saying, um, you, you, you didn't, your, your part wasn't all clean there. And, and, and so I knew that I had to do something about that. And I knew where this guy worked, his day job. And, and I knew that I needed to go and to just apologize for my part now I had no idea now here's the thing that I, I failed to mention is after the game he called me over and I thought we were gonna have this like reconciling time and he just laid into me all the more and and, and he said Chris you call yourself a pastor and and he was just accusing I mean it was like ah, oh. you know and and so as much as I felt like he was he was wrong I knew that I had to apologize for what I did. I went the next day into his place of employment and I just said, and I, regardless of what he, how he was gonna react, that wasn't my responsibility. I said, I'm sorry because I did this, my attitude was wrong, and I apologize for saying those things and for having the bad attitude and not respecting you and honoring you as a person. And fortunately, he, was humble, and we were able to. And he was our umpire yesterday, and, you know, he's been, you know, we've been fine. But that's an example of my, in my own life, of how I had to uh, fess up. I had to come clean. And this whole concept of confession, uh, what do we do when we disappoint ourselves? What do we do when we do things that aren't exactly right? Maybe they're mixed mixed intentions. Maybe we intend to go ahead with something and then yet we fall short. What do we do? Sometimes in life we have big dreams. We set out on a course that holds promise. There are big expectations for success, both from others and ourselves, but then things happen. It doesn't work out the way we planned. Uh, We're discouraged. Perhaps it's economically, perhaps it's our health, perhaps it's relationships, and things go south. What do you do? Uh, We've done things in the past we're ashamed of. We disappoint ourselves. We disappoint God. We're embarrassed. Uh, It's hard to admit. What should we do when we find ourselves in this position? Well, let me give you an example of something I don't think we should do. I think we shouldn't do. The lights go out and the wall goes up. The Bible says that if we live in darkness we're deceiving ourselves. But it says come into the light. Right? And what we tend to do sometimes is we turn the lights off, we put the fake wall up. This never happened. This never happened. In 1969 Thomas Harris wrote one of the most successful self-help books ever published, millions and millions of copies, New York Times best-selling list for 2 years. And it was translated into dozens of languages. I'm okay, you're okay. But what happens if we're not okay? Is it okay to admit that sometimes we're not okay? Uh, I like what they say here at at Highlands no perfect people allowed, right? Okay. Uh, I'd like to look at this verse 1 John 1 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word confess in the Greek, homologeo. Homo meaning same, logeo meaning word or speak to say. So it's saying the same thing or agreeing with what God says. When you confess, you're just agreeing with what's right and what's wrong based on what God's perspective and his analysis is. So confess, it means to agree. Simply agree with what the truth is. And I'd like to share three points with you about what confession is. Number one, I think confession must be sincere. It must be sincere. One of the criticisms of Christians today is that we are fake. We're not authentic people. The word sincere comes from the Latin word sincera. It means without wax. And what that describes is it's a phrase that comes from where people would hide cracks in cheap pottery or marble, and they would hide it through wax, by waxing the cracks, so that it would, be, it would come across as being worth more than it really was. And so, uh, quality products were often stamped with the word sincera, without wax. And it shows that it hadn't been doctored. Uh, it would be similar to those products today that we might see 100% natural or, or all natural, 100% pure. And, and so the question for us is, do we try to cover up our blemishes, right, in life? Or are we real with people, cracks and all? Are we real? Proverbs 28:13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The phrase, I have sinned, is found 20 times in the Bible. I have sinned. But ironically, it's not always, in fact, most of the time, it's not an expression of sincerity uh, or a change of heart. We see this in Pharaoh. Pharaoh, uh, it's, there were plagues that came on Egypt. One of them was a hailstorm. And in Exodus 9, it says... It was the worst storm in the land of all of Egypt since it had become a nation. So, this is a really bad storm, hailstorm. And so, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. He says, This time I have sinned. And as we know, Pharaoh did this over and over and over again, even after the Israelites left. He said, What do what are we think of? We had these slaves in Egypt. Let's go get them. So, regardless of how many times he said, I've sinned, I've sinned, please, it was just simply an expression of fear. He didn't want the consequences right? There's another guy in, in Scripture. His name is Shimei, and he does the same thing. He's on the side of Absalom, who's David's son. Absalom's starting to take over the kingdom. There's a battle between David and his son Absalom. So is with Absalom. He sees David, and he curses David, it says, pelts David and all the king's officials with stones, calls him a murderer and a scoundrel. So David and his men continue along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside cursing as he went throwing stones showering him with dirt okay so he's completely disrespecting david but then the momentum changes and now david starts having a a little advantage in the in the battle between him and his son so shimei is confronted by david and he crossed the Jordan. He falls prostrate before the king. May the Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord left the king in Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know that I've sinned. It's just simply a, it's, it's, it's an admittance, but it's not really a confession. Because he's afraid that David's going to take his life. This <clears throat> reminds me of my, my son. Uh, the other night, we had dessert, and he had lemon cake, and I had strawberry shortcake. Lemon cake, you don't put whipped cream on lemon cake because it was sweet. And, and sh- strawberry shortcake, you use whipped cream on top. It's one of my favorites. So I put a lot of whipped cream on my... So I go in the kitchen, and I come back, and I catch my son. He's got this big dollop of whipped cream that he's stealing from my dessert. And so, <clears throat> so I go, I, you know, I'm, Cameron, what are you doing? That's my... And so here's what I do. I take his lemon cake and I put it over here. And I say, you're going to wait for a minute. So I start eating my, my strawberry shortcake. And so what is the first thing he did? Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. Is he, is he really sorry that he stole my whipped cream? He wants his cake back, right? And before I kind of tell you too much of the dysfunction in my family, uh, I, I gave him his cake back. And and, but, I, but that's kind of what we do sometimes. When things don't go well, when, think, when we find ourselves in a bad spot, we're in a bad space, we're, we're kind of in a, in a pickle, and, and then we, we, our natural reaction with God is like, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for like, a, can you get me out of this situation? Right? And, and we'll, we'll just find ways to kind of drum up something that maybe we've done to find ourselves in this spot or something like that, weird kind of theology. Well... Well, that's what Pharaoh. That's what Shimei. And then it can also be, instead of instead of true confession that changes the heart, it can be manipulation even. And we see this in Samuel. Uh, and Samuel says, "Oh, I've sinned," and and he says that to Sam, To I'm, I'm sorry. He says that Saul. I'm sorry. Saul. He says that to Samuel. He says Saul goes, I'm, "I've sinned. I'm sorry, Samuel," and, but. Please, uh, come back here. Let's worship God together. And this was right after he totally disobeyed what God told him to do. So he's trying to manipulate the prophet Samuel who's totally righteous and honoring to God, doing the right thing the whole time. Well, Saul was a manipulator. Saul was constantly back and forth. And so, so a lot of his I have sinned was just, was just a manipulation like deception. And then uh, also confession can be like remorse can be sad, sadness for what has happened, but it's not really a turn. Uh, Judas did this. He betrayed Jesus, uh, was con- condemned. He was seized with remorse, it says in Matthew, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, and he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. But we know that Judas's heart wasn't changed because he went and he took his life. He committed suicide because he was so depressed. And so, but it was remorse. But it wasn't like, you see, when I was, when I, when this happened to me, when I, when I first really encountered the living God in my life and I knew that I was going this direction, I had to go this direction. And I made this 180 turn when I sensed God's calling my heart and calling me back to him. Many of you have had that same experience. And, and that's a genuine, uh, Heart change, which means that the confession that you're making is real and legitimate. You're not conjuring something up. You're not doing because you're afraid and you're not trying to manipulate. It's a genuine confession that there's something that needs to get right and you want to make it right. You're committed to it. And then you go the other way and there's a change of heart. So true confession, it's sincere. Number two, true confession is simple. It's simple. I found on uh, WikiHow, you can, you can learn how to do anything on, online, right? And this, this site, WikiHow, it'll tell you. Uh, examples I found are make, make people believe you can skateboard, okay? If you, want to, if you want to learn how to do that, you can do it. How to hunt in your backyard, okay? It'll tell you. Throw like a boy if you're a girl. How about find a husband when the men outnumber the women 10 to 1 in your country? That, that's what it said, Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a how-to here. Well, I found this one, how to make a good confession. Okay, now there's 11 steps, are you ready? Okay. Pray often and before confession, consulting the local church priest to set up an appointment. Enter the confessional. In the Byzantine rite, you must kneel facing the icon of Christ. The priest will sit at your right-hand side. Place the epitrachialion, I don't know what that is, on your head and say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Tell him your sins, including how many times you committed them. Go in order from most grave to the least. Do not omit uh, any unconfessed mortal sins that you can remember, indifference to venial sins. You've got to know the difference there. Afterwards, you'll receive penance. And then there's an act of contrition. Must be performed sincerely, truly meaning what you say. If you don't know the words, write them down. Ask the priest to help you. Expect the priest to recommend penance after he ap- offers absolution for your sins. Perform your penance as soon as possible. Celebrate your forgiveness. But my personal favorite, try not to sin while doing so. And then... <laughs> And then there's a video in case you missed all those steps, right? Well, I understand many of us have experienced different forms of religious expression growing up, but confession, I I agree with confession. It's a good practice. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But when confession is boiled down to a formula, okay, when it's boiled down to rules and regulations, it moves us away from the matters of the heart. Jesus is concerned with your heart. So he isn't requiring you to jump through a bunch of hoops, right? He's going straight to the heart. The word of God is sharp and is like a sword, and it penetrates joints and marrow and divides thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Hebrews 4 says. So um, when the Holy Spirit reveals things in your life, they aren't right, you admit it, and you trust that God has taken care of it. When Jesus died on the cross, He said, "It is finished." What that means is there are no more sacrifice for sins left. You can't pay for your own. No one else can pay for your sins. No one else can like work to get rid of those. It was done. So all He's requiring is that you just bring it to the light and not hide it in the dark. Okay. So confession, true confession, is sincere. True confession is simple. Okay, Uh, and in 1818, one of the six women, one out of every six women who had children died of something called childbirth fever. Uh, Doctors' daily routine back then started in the dissecting room uh, where they performed autopsies, and then from there, they made their rounds to examine expectant mothers. Okay, not even one person thought to wash their hands. At least not until a doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis began to practice strict hand washing. He was the first doctor to associate a lack of hand washing with the huge fatality rate. <clears throat> he said uh, he lost one out of 50 women and compared to the one out of six. He said, childbirth fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proven all that I've said. But while we talk, talk, and talk, women are dying. I'm not asking for anything world shaking, he said, only that you wash your hands. And his colleagues laughed at him. Virtually no one believed him. You know, with this whole issue of confession, you know, God's not asking for anything world shaking. He's just simply asking that we wash our hands, wash our hearts, and through a simple act of confession. And this will lead us to what I believe is the most important point of this message, Confession is sincere. Confession is simple. Confession opens the door, helps us to see and hear from God clearly. What is it that we need to see and hear from God? What is it he's saying to us? I believe the most important message that he conveys to us is contained in this verse that we just read. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins And purify us from all unrighteousness. The message of God to us as we confess, as we open up our our eyes and our ears and hear from him, he's saying to us, I want to purify you. I want to make you feel and experience cleanliness, being clean in your heart. I want to forgive you. That's what he'll actually start communicating to you more and more as we respond in confession. Matthew 5.8 said, "Blessed, Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You will start to see God more clearly as your heart becomes more and more pure. Many of you have experienced this in your Christian journey, in your faith. You just find that supernaturally, somehow, the Spirit of God is, is He just gets things right for you. He cleans things up for you. If you're on this journey of, the, of, of faith, you see it, you feel it, you experience it. That's God's business, is cleaning things up. And He's cleaning our heart. And how we participate and how we, uh, work alongside of that is we just continually open up our hearts and admit the things that aren't right that are there. <clears throat> the word uh, Graham mentioned last week, uh, Jesus made this reference of having eyes to see, ears to hear. You know Romans ten nine says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, and and that He raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The word faithful. That God is faithful to do for you and for me is called, is in the Greek, it's pistos, okay, for, for being faithful to clean us up. That's what His promises to us. It's pistos, it's persons who show themselves faithful in a transaction of business. It's like God has set up this contract, if you will. He says, just come to me openly and honestly and sincerely, and here's, here's the deal that you and I get, okay? We get uh, God's treatment of Christ as if he personally committed all the sins of every person, who, so that everyone who would believe, he could treat as if they'd lived Christ's perfect life. Okay, so, so uh, all the biographies of famous men and women okay, focus on the lives of the people. Everything that's written about famous heroes is about their lives. The New Testament is unique in that it spends tons of time on the death of Christ. Why is that? Because that's the key for you and I being free. It's the key for us having a clean conscience. So to illustrate this, let's say you owe $20 million, they're gonna throw you in jail, your name is in the paper, you're on TV, you're in the courtroom, okay? And uh, you're going to prison. So you show up and then your judge is gonna sentence you and then Bill Gates walks in the back door. And he works out a deal with the judge. And, and they, so they say to you, so they say, you're free. You're free to go. We've worked it out. You know, your debt's been paid. So as you're heading out the room, then Bill Gates comes up to you and he says, hey, whispers in your ear, hey, check your bank account. You're like, I, I know it's in my bank account. It's empty. You know, I owed $20 million. You know, just check your account. So you go, you get your ATM, you check your account and there's $30 million in your account. You see... What Jesus has done for us is he's lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins. But his perfect life and his perfect righteousness has been credited to your account. You know, the the lottery, often, not often, but once in a while, will actually, uh, this is an article in the USA Today, actually, winners will sometimes not claim their prize. So, uh, one time, an individual won $46 million. Uh, He beat the odds $77 to one. And his number on his lottery ticket was picked, but he missed the deadline. The jackpot went unclaimed. Apparently, this happens once in a while. A California man, $25 million, didn't cash in. So, it's an enormous prize. You have the winning ticket, and yet you don't rightfully claim what is yours. And I suggest that maybe some of us have not claimed our prize. Forgiveness. Unmerited favor. Unearned, undeserved favor. You say, well, that's not fair. I mean, that's, you know, I, I owed the money and then that got erased and then money was put into my account. No, it's, it's not fair, but it's, it's God's justice. And, and why in the world would we not accept and receive that kind of deal? And, and so God... Has, has given us this great prize of forgiveness, right? And it's been paid for already. All he's asking is that you just be honest with when and how you aren't being really true to, your, to what God is calling you to be true to. Psalm 103 says, Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, every one. He heals your diseases, everyone. Micah 7:18 and 19, Where is the God who can compare with you, wiping the slate clean of guilt, turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the past sins of your purged and precious people? Let's pray. Father, we uh, confess that uh, we have not uh, been totally upright and honest with you at times. Uh, Lord, you tell us that, that confession is just very simple and it, it has to be sincere and from the heart. And as we, as we engage in just talking with you honestly and openly, you will open up the doorway. You will open up our eyes and we'll begin to see you in ways we never could imagine. And we'll hear from your voice. You'll speak those words of love and forgiveness that come from that scripture. If you confess your sin, You are faithful and just. You will forgive us our sin. You will clean us of all unrighteousness and will be and feel clean in your sight. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.